Unit 2-2. Listening for details. Focus. Listen to a professor talk about hearing loss. Long-term exposure to noise can lead to loss of hearing. The relative loudness of sounds is measured in decibels. Just to give you an idea of what this means, the sound of a whisper is 30 decibels, while a normal conversation is 60 decibels. The noise a vacuum cleaner makes is around 85 decibels. The danger zone, the risk of injury, begins at around 90. Continual exposure to sounds above 90 decibels can damage your hearing. Loud noises, especially when they come at you every day, all this noise can damage the delicate hair cells in your inner ear. Lots of everyday noises are bad for us in the long run. For example, a car horn sounds at around 100 decibels. A rock band at close range is 125 decibels. A jet engine at close range is one of the worst culprits at an ear-busting 140 decibels. The first thing to go is your high-frequency hearing, where you detect the consonant sounds in words. That's why a person with hearing loss can hear voices but has trouble understanding what's being said. Now choose the best answer to each question. Number one. At what decibel level does the risk of hearing loss begin? Number two. Which sounds could contribute to hearing loss? Exercise 2-2-A. Questions 1 through 2. Listen to a conversation between two students. I had a lot of expenses this quarter, and the money my parents sent didn't last very long. I may have to get some kind of job. You can probably find something right here on campus. You should check out the job board in the student center. Where is that exactly? in the student center on the first floor next to counseling. In fact, I think it's part of the counseling center. You can ask one of the counselors if you want more information about any of the jobs listed. My problem is that I need the money, but I don't have a lot of spare time. I'd like a quiet job that would allow me to get some reading done. Then go on over there. Maybe there's an opening for night watchmen. Number one. What does the woman suggest the man do? Number two, what type of job does the man want? Questions three through five. Listen to a conversation on a college campus. Hey, Lori, are you doing anything on Wednesday afternoon? I usually either go to the computer lab or go home after I get out of class. Why? Well, we're having our annual book sale at the library, and we need extra cashiers. When is the sale? All day Wednesday, from 10 until 6. 
The busiest time will be from around noon to 3. If you're free in the afternoon, why not volunteer to help us out? The library will give you $10 in book credit for every hour you work. You have to use the credit at this sale, but that will get you a lot of books. Most are priced around $1 or $2. Why are you selling books from the library? The sale includes mostly books people have donated to the library. There are a lot of paperbacks and things like encyclopedias. Oh, I see. I guess I could spare a few hours. Great. I can put your name down then? Sure. I'll be there around noon. Thanks, Lori. Number three. What does the woman agree to do? Number four. How are book sale workers compensated? Number five. When will the woman arrive at the book sale? Questions six through seven. Listen to a conversation between two students. How do you like your classes this term? All of my classes are really good. I especially like political science with Professor Han. Oh, I had Professor Han for American history. We had to write a lot of papers, but one time we had a debate, and I'll never forget that. Her assignments are challenging, but useful, and she has the most interesting stories to illustrate her lectures. She really makes us think. And she really makes you work in her class. I know, but I'm starting to figure things out as a result of this class. Great. Number six, why does the woman like her class with Professor Han? Number seven, what does the man say about Professor Han? Questions 8 through 10. Listen to a conversation between a student and a professor. Professor Abram, did you want to see me? Yes, please come in, Nina. I have a job here that I hope you can help me with. I'd like to if I can. Well, see this stack of paper? These are all journal articles that I need to go through for my research. It would really help if they were arranged more logically. Can you help me? I imagine it will take a few hours of your time. Yes, of course I can. How do you want them organized? Well, primarily by subject and then by date. There are articles from the past four or five years. Most are about primate behavior, but a few deal with other mammals or birds or with behavioral psychology in general. This will be interesting. I have some free time tomorrow afternoon. Would that be all right? That sounds perfect. Number eight. What does the professor want the woman to do? Number nine, what is the subject of the professor's research?
Number 10. When will the woman do the work? Exercise 2-2-C. Questions 1 through 3. Listen to part of a talk in a geography class. Now we'll turn our attention to a type of local wind known as the sea breeze. The sea breeze is the simplest, most widespread, and most persistent of local winds. The sea breeze results from the heating of land and sea along a coastline in near calm conditions. The more rapid heating of the land during the daytime results in the development of a temperature gradient across the coast. This leads to ascent over the land and descent over the sea. Thus, a pressure gradient causes a flow of air from sea to land. At the same time as the breeze flows from sea to land, there is a return flow higher up from land to sea. The airflow forms a circular pattern. From sea to land upwards and back out to sea. The flow develops through the day and by the middle of the afternoon may extend several kilometers inland. At night, the situation is reversed and the flow is from the colder land to the warmer sea as a land breeze. Number one What is the main topic of the talk? Number two, select the diagram that represents the sea breeze. Number three, identify the part of the diagram that shows the sea breeze's return flow. Questions 4 through 5. Listen to part of a talk in a music history class. The simplest type of horn is made from an animal horn, and animal horns are the model for other primitive horns, made of shells, wood, animal hide, or clay. The sound is produced by vibrations from the player's lips. Now, some horns are blown at the end, and some are blown on the side. Most primitive horns are end blown. Unless the horn has finger holes, it will have a limited melodic range. Horns have been around since very early times. In the Middle Ages in Europe, they were used almost exclusively in hunting and warfare. From about the 14th century onward, metal horns with special mouthpieces were developed, and this increased the horn's versatility. In the 18th century, the horn became a regular member of the orchestra. Various types of horns are still widely used for signaling and ritual. The bugle is a simple horn dating from the Middle Ages that was first used for hunting and signaling. Starting in the 19th century, it became standard in military bands. Number four What topics does the speaker discuss?
Number 5. When did the horn become a standard part of the orchestra? Questions 6 through 10. Listen to a talk in an earth science class. The professor is talking about tsunamis. The term tidal wave is often inaccurately used for a tsunami. Tsunamis have nothing to do with the action of tides. A more accurate term is seismic sea wave. There has to be a disturbance of the Earth's crust to produce a tsunami. Large earthquakes with epicenters under or near the ocean are the cause of most tsunamis. Volcanic eruptions and undersea landslides are also responsible, but unless accompanied by movements of the ocean floor, their effects are usually localized. Possibly this was true about the eruption of Krakatoa in 1883. A tsunami was responsible for most of the deaths caused by Krakatoa, yet this tsunami did not sink any ships. It did wash away several coastal villages and kill more than 36,000 people. Tsunamis work in complex ways. Some pounce on coastal settlements like large breakers. Others produce a gentle wave that floats buildings off their foundations. But then a violent backwash may sweep buildings and people out to sea. The tsunami that wrecked Hilo, Hawaii in 1946 was so forceful it folded parking meters. It caused needless deaths when people returned to save their belongings and got caught between waves. The deeper the water, the lower the tsunami and the faster it moves. In the open ocean, it travels at about 700 kilometers per hour, but being sometimes no more than a meter in height, a tsunami often passes a ship unnoticed. This is what happened in 1896 during a catastrophic tsunami in Japan, which was the result of an undersea earthquake. Thousands of people were drowned on shore, while fishermen far out at sea didn't notice the waves passing beneath their boats. But when they went home, they found their villages destroyed. Number 6. How does the professor develop the topic of tsunamis? Number 7. Why is the term tidal wave inaccurate for a tsunami? Number 8. What causes tsunamis? Number 9. What point does the professor make about the eruption of the volcano Krakatoa? Number 10. What is true of the tsunami that struck Japan in 1896?
Exercise 2-2-E. Questions 1 through 5. Listen to a talk in an art class. The instructor is talking about pigments. Whether you're working with oil, tempera, or watercolor, it's the pigment that gives the paint its color. A pigment can either be mixed with another material or applied over its surface in a thin layer. When a pigment is mixed or ground in a liquid vehicle to form paint, it does not dissolve but remains suspended in the liquid. A paint pigment should be a smooth, finely divided powder. It should withstand the action of sunlight without changing color. A pigment should not exert a harmful chemical reaction upon the medium or upon other color pigments it is mixed with. Generally, pigments are classified according to their origin, either natural or synthetic. Natural inorganic pigments, also known as mineral pigments, include the native earths, such as ochre, yellow iron oxide, and raw umber, brown iron oxide. Natural organic pigments come from vegetable and animal sources. Some examples are indigo from the indigo plant, and Tyrian purple, the imperial purple the Romans prepared from a shellfish native to the Mediterranean. Today, many pigments are synthetic varieties of traditional inorganic and organic pigments. Synthetic organic pigments provide colors of unmatched intensity and tinting strength. The synthetic counterparts of the yellow and red earths are more brilliant and, if well prepared, are superior in all other respects to the native products. Inorganic synthetic colors made with the aid of strong heat are generally the most permanent for all uses. In contrast, pigments from natural sources are less permanent than the average synthetic color. Number one. What is a pigment? Number two. According to the instructor, what characteristic should a pigment have? Number three, how are pigments generally classified? Number four, which natural pigment did the Romans obtain from a shellfish? Number five, according to the instructor, why are synthetic pigments superior to natural pigments? Questions six through 10. Listen to part of a lecture in a geology class. The professor is talking about volcanoes. A volcano is a vent in the Earth which erupts when hot liquefied rock or magma moves to the Earth's surface, pouring out as lava. The lava may flow out as a liquid, or it may explode from the vent as solid or liquid particles accompanied by superheated gases. Ash and cinders form a cone around the vent. 
There are several types of volcanoes. The most fluid magmas erupt quietly and flow from the vent to form gently sloping shield volcanoes. The name shield volcano comes from their resemblance to the shields of early Germanic warriors. The lava flows from shield volcanoes are usually only 1 to 10 meters thick, but may extend for great distances from the vent. The volcanoes of Hawaii and Iceland are typical volcanoes of this type. Cinder cone volcanoes are formed when magmas with high gas contents and high viscosity are blown high into the air during an eruption. The magma falls as volcanic bombs, which accumulate around the vent and form steep-sided cones. Calderas, large basin-like depressions, are formed when a violent eruption blows the top off of an existing cone or when the center of a volcano collapses. One famous caldera covers much of Yellowstone National Park. 600,000 years ago, there was a huge volcanic explosion which devastated the landscape. At the center, there remained only a smoldering caldera, a collapsed crater more than 40 miles wide. Yellowstone's famous geysers and hot springs lie within this giant basin. Number 6. What aspect of volcanoes does the professor mainly discuss? Number 7. Identify the types of substances that erupt from volcanoes. Number 8. Select the picture that is most like a shield volcano. Number 9. Select the picture that is most like a caldera. Number 10. Which type of volcano is associated with the geysers in Yellowstone National Park? <laughs> 